1 Samuel chapter 13. There are two verses we need to see. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel had you obeyed. He would have established forever. But kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be the captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord is here to minister to everyone. All you have to do is open up your heart to God. Amen. It's a prevailing power. <laughs> Before you're seated, just thank Him for showing up today that He came because He loved us. Would you do that? I thank you, Lord, for coming talking to me. I love you. God bless you. Thank you for standing. If you could bring your minds into the scripture a little bit, focus with me. 1 Samuel 13, 14 is a telling word. Just the opening line of that single verse holds the fate of a monarch. And his sons and grandsons are included. All of it is on the brink of collapse, though none of them could possibly know the finality that awaits them. I'll read it again to you. The prophet said, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. It's an edict, not just a prophecy. The prophet Samuel has levied a charge of great consequence against King Saul. Like the launching of an arrow in midstream, the target is empty, but the bow has already been drawn and God's unavoidable judgment will soon be the fate of this Israel's first king. Samuel's words are a sad ending to the man he loved, his contemporary Saul has long since abandoned obedience to God. He now favors self-accolade. He favors himself. On one particular trip back to Jerusalem after a battle was won, he paused long enough, the king did, to build a monument to himself, giving himself credit for a job well done. But in doing so, he forgot that victories never truly belong to the servant. They always belong to the master. The tragedy of this failed monarch was never more transparent than the moment when Samuel said, and I quote from Eugene Patterson's thought when he wrote, and all because you didn't keep your appointment with God. So much promise and yet so much disappointment. 
Samuel the prophet grieved at the loss of Israel's first king, his friend. Samuel and Saul were contemporaries in a way that transcends most governmental bonds. Their depth of their particular offices worked together so well. A king and a prophet. They spoke of God's authority and of God's love for his people. They began as a hand-in-glove operation under the banner of Yahweh's approval. They were the dream team. Samuel was so profound, he held numerous positions among the people of Israel. Few could compare to the height and breadth of his appointments. Samuel, he literally grew up in the temple. He served as the high priest all of his adult life. He was also the judge of Israel. He made sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. He was a prophet who foretold the future and he saw destinies. Samuel was the kingmaker, having carried the anointing oil layered with the sweet-smelling fragrance of the apothecary. Samuel himself was anointed by divine order of the eternal spirit through the faithful steps of his consistent father Elkanah and his prayerful mother Hannah. Samuel was born to lead. And Saul, the king, he was the hope of the nation, standing head and shoulders among the men of Israel. He entered the office with such humility and purity of spirit. He even once prophesied with the young men from the school of the prophets. He was chosen to be the leader of Israel in battle and with prestige. But oh, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Thy kingdom shall not continue. You didn't keep your appointment with God. If you read through the scripture, perhaps the most profound tragedy in the many years of King Saul's reign was that he never sought to regain the Ark of the Covenant in all of the days of his incumbency. With the power in his hand to bring it back, Saul never looked for it. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen years prior when Eli, the former high priest, had died and Saul never went after it to bring it home. He just wasn't interested in pursuing spiritual things. Maybe because he considered himself worthy. He was worthy enough to lead. Maybe he valued the golden scepter in his own hands more than the golden box in the tabernacle. And Samuel said, God hath found a man after his own heart. Wow, awesome. What a relief for the people of Israel. They were in such need of a spiritual transition and no one looked better than David. A man after God's own heart. Those are the words that we read in the scripture. They filled the weightier messages of a thousand sermons. David was a man after God's own heart. That was one of the first things I knew in Sunday school. And I say, I'm okay with that description. At least in the early part of David's life. David is the Bible's featured songwriter. Only eternity will tell the whole of how many other lyricists have used David's midnight material in their own songs. David became a master musician. He understood instruments and cymbals, their various sounds, the harp, string instruments. We can only guess at his harmonic genius. He was a worshiper, a worship leader. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, David in your Bible was a dancer. Let's talk about it. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, David was a dancer. He got his groove on. 
I remember one lady in my childhood told me growing up that it meant that David was a jumper and he leaped for joy. She said David would never really dance because that would be vulgar. Uh, nope. He was a dancer, not a leaper. Let's just get this right here today because some of you have a problem. We have dance classes starting next Saturday. You know what I'm talking about. He was the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of his day. He was the triple threat Gene Kelly of his day. He was Josephine Baker of the 1930s. Can I get a witness? No. I dare say he probably was the John Travolta of the 1970s and you heard it here first right here at New Life. Yes, he danced. In fact, the Bible clearly states that when he finally brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he danced his royal robe off and he looked like a common man. That's called getting down. David was a shepherd, a singer, a worship leader, and soon to be a giant slayer. David will garnish the applause of the people as he came home time and again, having defeated the enemies of Israel. The women of the land said, Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. David's early life was filled with accomplishments. And outside of Saul's jealousy, David was Israel's favorite son. Think of it, at the death and the conclusion of Saul's life, when the enemy severed the former king's head sent his body back to Jerusalem when Saul's sons lay lifeless on the battlefield and defeat was their epitaph. All the shame cast against this deranged king which once lifted up their pride when all of that swirling turmoil hovered above the nation's collective head. It was David who ascended to the forefront of Israel and the Jewish scholars and historians would write even today that David appeared more like a savior than a successor. And Samuel will dismiss Saul with these words, The Lord has found a man after his own heart. You weren't that kind of man, Saul. You never sought the ark. You never looked to please God. You were not a man after his own heart. I know when the timeline, I got the timeline when the prophet made that statement. He said it before all of David's problems. So I could have let it go as a statement of faith that maybe David would end up being a man after God's own heart. But fact is, Paul wrote in the New Testament church, he wrote and preached in, in, in Antioch in Acts 13, and he said it again. Speaking of David, Paul said, God raised up David to be their king, and Paul said, God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. He's going to fulfill my will. And as sure as I'm standing here today, I'm a little perplexed. David began well. I know that. He was a worshiper, a man of faith. He was bold before the enemies of Israel. He reinstituted praise and sacrifice in Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. He even went to find that Ark and did not stop until he returned it to its rightful place. The celebration that day was so great, the people were so happy. There was no day like it, but a man after God's own heart, oh, I'm bothered. It takes a hit. And David's lifestyle and in his actions. See, Saul wasn't the only king who struggled with arrogance and self-reliance. David did too. In fact, the Bible says that one moment when kings went out to battle, David stayed home. And he's wandering the halls of his palace in an aimless fashion. Sin is crouching at the door. He goes to the rooftop of his great mansion and he looks out 
and he sees a woman taking a bath, he lusted after that woman. And he didn't just look at her, but he invited her to his house. He conspired to bring her into his bed, and he did. David had an adulterous affair with another man's wife, and he would have just swept it under the rug had Bathsheba not become pregnant. Uh-oh. I know that this is church. But read the Bible a little bit. You won't have to watch all my children and the bold, the beautiful, and the days of our lives and had the world burns, I mean, turns. You won't have to do that. Soap operas don't have anything on the scripture. Scotty and I, we didn't have a TV growing up, but we did have the Song of Solomon. My mother is here. She told us not to read the Song of Solomon. We would just sneak back in the bedroom and say, open up the Bible. I said, Scott, what does that mean? He said, I don't know, but we'll find out. We're going to go ask somebody what that means. And suddenly, Tammy is very nervous right now and uncomfortable. Preach, preach, preach on. (laughs) This is adult class. You know, this is adult class. David had an illicit affair with Bathsheba, and he would have not said or done anything had she not come to him and said, and said, I'm going to have your baby. And because my husband is off to war, everyone's going to know that this is not his child. That is the man after God's own heart. I struggle with this word in my younger years because that's not an indication of God's heart. She told him, I'm going to have your child. But instead of confessing and asking for forgiveness, David took the next horrible step and brought Uriah, her husband, home. He called for a special exemption and had Uriah come home from war for a little R&R with his wife Bathsheba. But of course, what David didn't realize was the character of the man he brought home. Uriah was loyal. Uriah could not bear the thought of his fellow soldiers risking their lives in the battlefield while he enjoyed the pleasures of his marriage. So Uriah did not go home. Instead, he slept on the ground, and he never graced the doors of his own house, which, of course, foiled David's manipulative plan. That's the man? It's not indicative of a man after God's own heart. No way, no how. Samuel and Paul could not have been speaking louder about the same man, David. They said it. It was a man after God's own heart. But when David's plan did not work, he conspired to have Uriah killed to die on the battlefield. Think of it. He instructed his general to have soldiers advance and then have them retreat quickly, leaving Uriah out there in the open field to fend for himself. David and Uriah connected. One was loyal and the other was unfaithful. And David stripped Uriah of protection for the express purpose of killing him in the act of war to cover up his sin. And that surely, I say this, cannot define a man after God's own heart. God would never leave me in harm's way. Joel said it, the Lord your God, he is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness. David took another man's wife. He lied. He cheated. He willingly engaged in an adulterous affair. It was a sordid manipulation and deceit. All filled with that. He committed murder in the most egregious way. 
And the Bible will spare no expense to keep David's actions hidden. It's exposed. Even the gospel, read in your Bible, Matthew will shine light on David's notorious affair. And Matthew does so in a way that makes no attempt to cover David. Written in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, when a billion people over open up the books of the New Testament, there it is, Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. There's no cover-up. How could it be that even the book of Acts will give such credence to David after all that had been done? It was written, uncovered, uncloaked, his victories and passions all sealed in parchment by the hand of the scribe. David was a man after God's own heart. But the heart of God is not deceitful. God's heart never misuses people or manipulates power to displace or harm the innocent. God's heart is revealed in touching the unwanted and giving hope to the unloved. His heart is one of peace and purity, not of pain and retribution. The heart of God was on full display through the manifestation of Jesus Christ who gathered children in his arms and embraced lepers and criminals and prostitutes and tax collectors. He sat at a well with a burned out woman of Samaria and offered living water when every other Jewish rabbi would have gone to great lengths to avoid her. The Bible gives us the clue about the woman when, I, when it says, and I quote, Jesus had need to go through Samaria. He was after her. He was wanting to talk to her. The heart of God was never, was never in question. It has never been in question. So I must object. If I would just take it at face value that David was a man whose heart was like God in the context that I was told as a child. It didn't mean that. I found out it didn't mean what I thought it meant. It didn't mean that David's heart was the same makeup of my God. Samuel and Paul were not saying that David had a heart like God's heart. Or that David's intentions and actions mirrored the intentions of the Holy Spirit. They weren't submitting to the world and every believer that David's heart was in the likeness of God. It wasn't God's heart in kind or character. It wasn't God's heart in type or manner or temperament or mold or cast or stripe. It meant that David was in pursuit of God's heart. He was after it. He sought for God. He was chasing God's heart. He not attained it. He was not in the position of the pureness of the Lord. He was just running towards it. Even David wrote it himself. And he, and he said, and I quote in Psalms 42, As the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee. I'm thirsty for you, God, for the living God. I'm thirsty. I'm running after you just like the deer, seeking for the cool waters to soothe him from the heat and weariness of his own life. My soul is thirsty for you, O God. My soul is thirsty for you. David was a man chasing God. He fell down so many times, but he still sought for the Lord. He made so many mistakes, some with his sons and others in the kingdom. But David was a man after, seeking for the Lord. So he wrote, Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I do what? 
seek thee. My soul is thirsting. I long for you in a dry and thirsty land. I want to see your power and your glory. Just like I saw it in the sanctuary. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips are going to praise you. I'll bless you while I live. I'll lift you up in the temple. With my hands my soul will be satisfied. I'm after you. I'll remember you when I go to bed. I'll meditate upon you in the night. Because you've been my help. I'm after you. My soul is doing what? Following hard after thee. Because your right hand will hold me. David was a man after. Chasing, seeking, in search. Altogether desperate. And as I stand here today, I know the struggles of my own life. I'm not oblivious to my own flesh and the tug of war, the battles that are in my own spirit. And Paul said it so profoundly. And if you cannot relate to this, then you're probably not telling the truth. But I can relate to this. Paul said to the church at Rome, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do good. I want to do good, but I don't carry it out. What I want to do when I want to do good, I don't do it. No. Evil, the evil stuff that I don't want to do, that is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's a sin living inside of me. Paul said it. Paul, the person who wrote 13 books of the Bible and it converted all of known Asia. He said, so I find a law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me in my inner being. I delight in the law, but I see another work in my members, my body waging war against the law of my mind, making a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Paul was struggling in his life and his walk with God. But Paul said, I have to leave some things behind and I press for the mark for the prize, for the high coin of Jesus Christ. I'm standing here today to tell you, you can be a man and a woman after God's own heart. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're in search of him. <laughs> I'm not oblivious to think that even the people of God won't make an error or a mistake, but I'm saying that you have to be after him, chasing him. And if you fail tomorrow on Monday, get back up and chase him again on the same day. A heart after God is a heart that desires him. Here, pastor, today, God knows our miserable state, and he does not hate us for it. He knows your flaws and your failings, and he does not condemn you because of them. Even at your best, your righteousness, the Bible says, is nothing more than filthy rags. Yeah. I'll give you the definitions. You see, legalism is that man who thinks he's already arrived. He never chases God. He's confident in his self-worth. And liberalism is that man who lives without boundaries, who disregards the disciplines of the mind and the spirit and the body because he's confident in his intentions. He never runs after holiness of the spirit, but a person that's after God is the one that sheds the idea of self-saved and self-justification actions. That person wakes up and he thinks, I need to find the Lord. I need a word from God. I need my daily bread. I got to tell you about the nature of our, of our Lord. He doesn't reject us when we fail. He's not waiting to pounce on us 
because of our inadequacies. The desire of our Savior is for all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for all. So I stand here to say to all of you, you may not raise your hand, but I know as I'm standing here, all of us are flawed. We're all trying to work out our salvation. Some not even with fear and few with trembling. We're all a wreck without God. Nobody is worthy except to the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. Nobody. Nobody rises higher than Paul. But everyone can be a man or a woman after God's own heart. All you have to do is get back up tomorrow. All you have to do is say, I'm going to find you. I'm going to chase you. I'm after you, Lord. I love you. I need you. I need you. Here, Pastor, don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever the flaw, God is waiting with open arms. He wants you. I'm not trying to lead a perfect church. I'm trying to lead us into hunger. That's what Jesus said. He said, they that are whole have no need. Uh, have no need. But a person after God's own heart always has a need. Didn't you notice the parable of the prodigal? Did you notice that the second son never knocked on the door? He never rang the doorbell. He never, he never asked for entry. He was covered with shame and guilt. And if the parable is written in succession, he was covered with the stench of the swine. But the father came out to meet him. And the Bible says that the father fell on him and kissed him. You see, God is looking for you. He's an anticipation of your pursuit of him. He's not looking to destroy you. He's anxious to heal you and restore you. Because the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. And the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Everything else will fail, but his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And if you look around this room and think that everybody is good and no one has problems because they put on their Sunday go to meet and close let me tell you that you are in a church of second chances and third chances and four time dropouts let me tell you a little bit about new life this house holds the self wounded and a host of bad decisions and misguided thoughts and all kinds of things contrary to what's right but we didn't give up I wish I had a witness. Is anybody here on their fifth chance? Did anybody have to start over ten times? Did anybody have to run back to God? I got to just tell you what kind of church this is. This is a church in pursuit of God. We have not attained him. We have not yet found all of his glory. But we are a church after him. Because 
that's what happens when we start. We're doing so good. We're doing so good. Everything is right. But you just serve the Lord for a little while and you'll crash and burn a couple times. People go down. They say, I can't believe it. I went back to the very thing that the Lord freed me of. And I say to you, if that stronghold came back in your life, you get back up again. And you say, I don't care. In the same day, I'm going to open up the book. I'm going to read about your tender grace and your mercy and be a man or a woman after him. I met a lot of young ladies. Oh, yes, I did. I met a lot of young ladies. And I asked them if they'd go out, and they said yes. But when I met Tammy Joe, white dress, little, little ribbons on the dress. Uh huh. Yes, I do, Elder. Like it was yesterday. And my friend Anthony, he said, "Jeffrey, you you want to meet the girl?" I said, "Yes." He said, "I already met her." I said. He said, I'll introduce you. We introduced. We're at the table. I'm selling my CDs. I got a saxophone strapped on my back. And I asked her if she'd like to go to lunch. And guess what she told me, Elder? I got plans. (laughs) I.E. No. (laughs) Now guess what happened? The chase was on. I'm running. I'm looking for her. I'm writing love letters. I got a sack of love letters. That's right. I'm, I'm looking for her. I'm running for her. I don't know how many people were at that Congress, maybe six or 7,000, but I know there's a little Southern girl I got to find in this big crowd. So I'm on the platform praising God with one eye and the other eye, I'm scouting it out. I'm on the worship. Me, Mark, and Lori, we're singing and I'm praising God. I don't know. I'm looking at her in the big conference. Trying, I got to find her. I got to find that girl. I don't know where she is, but I got to find her. Anthony, hook me up. Tell me where she's at. Because when you're in love with something and somebody, you don't care about anything else. You're going to try to find it in the big crowd. You're going to find Jesus wherever you are. You're going to find him at your work, in your job, in your neighborhood, in your family. Because you're after him. i got to find him. Help me. I'm not too much into the numbers of the Bible, but I know them. What they stand for, they represent the number three, the number five, grace, six, the number of man, twelve, the divine government. Number seven is the number, right? You know, it's the number. That's spiritual and divine perfection. It's the number seven. Spiritual and divine perfection. Even the Bible says, and I have it at the end here, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Because after seven times, all the impurities are burned out. This is the old-fashioned way of creating pure gold. You put it in the furnace. You scrape off the layer of of imperfection. And then it cools 
it hardens and you put it back in the same furnace and a new layer and then over and over again until finally at the seventh time when you bring it out all the imperfections gone that's a hard thing to consider if it's you in the furnace perhaps the only way for you to become pure like the Lord is for you to realize where you're at here's Proverbs 24 16 a just man he falls seven times and he gets up maybe on the seventh time all those things that you struggle with will start to fade away and you'll walk in another strength I think the view of the world often is that the church is an untouchable group maybe they cannot attain the community or membership of the body of Christ because they considered what they have done but I say send the word to everybody I say we're just saved by the grace and mercy of God and we too consider the only difference is we're just chasing after him we're getting up again I feel the spirit talking to you today there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ get up again come on get up you can get up (laughs) you can rise again don't discount yourself all you have to do is look for Jesus and you by definition are a person after God's own heart you got a God you got a you got a heart after God I don't have the heart yeah you do you got a what did you do I came to the altar and cried you're a you're a person after God's own heart not a likeness or kind or character or temperament or strife but you're pursuing the Lord see if I had pursued him I would know the revelation about him and if I did not chase after him I didn't know how much I needed help I didn't know how good he was I wouldn't have realized his compassion I wouldn't have known that the Lord loves me that if I made a step towards him the father's going to run he's going to hug me he's going to kiss me he's going to embrace me just as I am I'm praying for you right now because there's a battle going on between what I've just preached and the situation in your life. I'm going to tell you what, all those strongholds have to fade because the Lord, His love is greater than your failure. He loves me. His love is greater than my mistakes. Yes. Just right now where you're at, just stand and lift your hands to God. And just say, Lord, I'm receiving this now for my life. Tell him, I'm in search of you. I'm going to seek you early and often. I'm coming after you, Lord. Tell him, I need you. I'm needing you. I need your help. Come on, all you have to do is reach out to him. And by mere definition, you are after him. You're seeking for him. Ah. Here, here, here's the 
Here's what you say. Clean me, Lord, and purify me, Lord, and let my sacrifices be a broken heart, oh God. You can't, you can't reject. You'll never reject a broken spirit before you, Lord. Out of your mouth, say it. I need you, Lord. I need, I can't pray the prayer for you, but I want you to say it from your heart. I need you, Lord. I'm desperate for you, Lord. I'm calling on you, Lord. You know exactly my problems, Lord. Every time I want to do good, I, I just, sometimes I can't do good, but Lord, you said that you would love me. That this morning, you started your mercy factory all over. The bread of mercy has been made. It's fresh. It's fresh. So wherever you are in this building, this altar is open for all the God chasers. All the God chasers. All the people who need God. And you confess that you need God. Just come and stand and lift up your arms and open up your hearts and your mouths and say, I'm after you, Lord. I've not attained it yet, but I'm seeking for you, Lord. I'm not there yet, Lord, but I'm trying to find you, Lord. Oh, that's right. 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 Come on. That's right. That's right. Out of your mouth, say it. That's right. Out of your mouth, I'm praying. I'm needing you, Lord. I'm calling on you, Lord. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's right. That's right. Come on. Look at all the God chasers. Look at all the hearts that are after God. Look at all the hearts that are after God. Ah. Uh. We're not confident in our self-worth. We're not confident in our intentions. Our confidence is in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. Ah. Uh.